AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. Dustin Black is a group creative director for an ad agency in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In 2007, he published The Book of Spam, a most glorious and definitive compendium of the world's favorite canned meat. It was a collaboration with his advertising partner at the time, Dan Armstrong, when they worked for Hormel as advertisers. Shortly after the book was published, it was internationally recognized and distributed. Here is Dustin Black with the story of Spam. Right off the bat, it was a lot of uh, interesting. You'd be going to work and you'd pull over and call 
Korean radio show or something like that to talk about it. You know, what's great about Spam and I think why it had the appeal is it's got that, it's been around for forever and everybody has a story about it. Like there's very, there's nobody in the world that you can't sort of like spark up a conversation around Spam. You know, any corner of the globe, it's it, there's an experience with it. Uh, I was on production with uh, Tim Gunn a couple years ago, and he and I bonded over spam stories growing up because that was part of his like heritage. And I mean, spam is fascinating. And I think that what Hormel maybe doesn't even get as much credit for as they should is sort of revolutionizing the, the meat pr process or the meat packing process. Uh, spam itself is, is a result of, uh, you know, 100 years of technology of trying to preserve meat to get it shelf stable for longer periods of time. And strangely enough, like Napoleon, when he was moving his armies, uh, was really fascinated with how do I feed these, these armies through really cold Russian winters and keep them fed and they're getting tired of salted and dried out food. So he started playing around and some of his, his scientists, I guess you can call them, with packing meat in glass jars and putting fat on top of it and they would boil it for an hour. And that boiling was basically a, an early version of pasteurization. And from there, it went to cans, metal, thick metal cans. And it got to the point where the cans were larger and heavier than the meat itself. And so it wasn't very easy to transport. It was very difficult to open. And there's stories of the war when they would use their guns and muskets to shoot open the cans. I mean, there was a lot of problems back then because they would they would make the cans too big and so they couldn't cook the middle so there was botulism and there was problems with you know spoiled middle and the outside was good and um so eventually through sort of i don't know his, his brilliance hormel he came back during world war ii and said basically like we put it in this the smaller size you cook it for three hours you get a you get a top that you can open it's a way of preserving the meat a pasteurization that keeps it shelf stable and that was really like revolutionary and kind of in 1937 was the start of this sort of processed uh, meat and and for him too it was at the time like in world war one and when he was serving in world war one they were shipping meat with bone in it they would ship the 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 cow or they'd ship the pork and it would have bones in it that's not very efficient for weight it's not very efficient because there's a lot of scrap pieces left over so he said look if we take the bones out if we grind it up we put it in a smaller can, we pasteurize it, it'll ship. And in 1937, that was kind of the start of Spam was born. So what was fascinating in 1937, then he helped revolutionize, you know, World War II was just on the verge of starting up. It was kind of, Spam was sprinkling in. It wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today, or it wasn't quite as popular. But quickly, you know, the military recognized the advantage of it. And so they started shipping it to all the, the military overseas. And what's fascinating is they, I think that's kind of where the reputation of Spam started and was solidified. You had you know, people on these bases in Guam and, you know, around the world, and they're getting fed spam constantly because it was kind of such an easy food to send. But also what happened is the government had them overcook it essentially for safety. Like they wanted, instead of just cooking it for three hours, they cook it for five and that kind of mushed the meat. So they're getting fed this lesser quality uh, processed meat uh, around the world. And then because the idea and because during the war, we, they needed as much protein sent over as possible, other manufacturers were doing it in sizes that weren't as reliable. 
So you'd get 12 pound sizes and six pound sizes and that flexing up of different quality standards and of different processing and of different cooking, you kind of ended up with a, a perfect storm of these soldiers that, that were stationed around the world, getting overfed something they were tired of eating, getting mixed quality, getting bad quality. And then, you know, in a perfect marketing storm, then they were all sent home to spread the word. And so that's how we ended up with Spam so popular in Guam and Spam so popular in Hawaii. But also I think how what started the bad name and reputation for Spam was because it was such a, a mixed bag. And so, you know, here we are 80 years later uh, and it still kind of has that reputation of being something that's like weird or strange animal parts or gross, which is which is really interesting and unfortunate. Because at, at the end of the day, Spam is actually a really good cuts of meat. Like it's really just ham, pork shoulder, salt water, and a little sodium nitrate. And sodium nitrate is found in any processed meat. It just keeps it safe. But it's, it's the better cuts of meat. The, the byproducts that you, that you don't use go into hot dogs and sausages. Like that's the real, like if you'll eat a hot dog or a sausage, you should really have no problem with Spam because it's actually better cuts and quality of meat. And for years, it got the reputation of like the gel, right? Like that's one of the first things people, and a little bit less less so now, but like people are always like, ooh, it's got the gross gel on the outside and it makes that funny noise. And what's interesting is that was actually, that's pure protein. That's actually not that bad for you. And it's a byproduct of the cooking process. Protein goes towards heat. If you're pasteurizing meat in a can, the heat draws the protein out, it stays there, but then people open it up and it looks gross and looks like you know petroleum jelly or whatever. So back in 2001, they ground up a little bit of potato starch, stuck that in there. The potato starch traps the protein and you don't have any gel anymore. So since 2001, they've got rid of the gel, which has helped with the, the reputation of it. And you're listening to Dustin Black tell the story of Spam. And I'm a big hot dog lover. I also love liverwurst and bologna. So, of course, I can eat Spam. When we come back, more of the incredible story of Spam with someone who knows a lot about it and wrote the book of spam. We continue with Dustin Black's story about this inimitable American product here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. return to our American stories and the story of Spam. Yes, the canned meat. We've been listening to Dustin Black, author of the book of Spam, a most glorious and definitive compendium of the world's favorite canned meat. And he's telling the story of the creation of Spam. During World War II, Harmel realized that there was a great need for shelf-stable meats to be sent to our troops. And thus, Spam was created. We left off with Dustin talking about people's hesitation with buying the canned meat product. Let's return to Dustin Black. But I still think people have trouble thinking about buying meat off a shelf. But 
you know, it's a, it's a state of mind because there's so many, you know, cans of soup, you know, have meat in it. And, it, there, you know, there's plenty of examples of shelf stable. And it all just goes back to that pasteurization, back to that idea of, you know, 200, 300 year old technology of if you cook it and kill everything and don't let any air and bacteria in there, it's shelf stable for a long amount of time. And Hormel's actually continued, and I think they, they don't get the credit they deserve for, for, you know, revolutionizing a lot of the packaging processes they do. Their, a lot of their lunch meats um, are now high pressure pasteurized, and, and that kills, it basically squishes all the bad stuff in there. And so the, it can be all natural without having to add a lot of you know, extra preservatives, but they do it through a pressure and, and a technology, you know, like just shelf technology, which is really interesting. The book, uh, we go through a lot of different chapters of how it's made, the origins of Spam, the origins of processed meat. Uh, it goes through the Spam Museum, it goes through the Spam Mobile that used to travel around the country giving out samples. But throughout there we weave in a lot of photos from people that get sent into Hormel. That was one of the more interesting parts about working on the ads as we had access to their archive and to the people down there that were getting the fan mail. And you know, you would have people that would send in the fan art, they would make costumes out of spam cans, they would do weddings with a spam themed, you know, cake. From around the world, you get people that would send in, you know, just their rooms that are painted like spam or their car is spam painted. And it's just, you know, it's it's had such for such a long time a, a devoted fan base. I and mean, whether you love or hate spam, you know, you kind of have a story or you kind of know about it and have an affinity. You know, it's a brand that I think you sort of have to unabashedly love. You know, I know that there's a bit of a stigma out there with it. So if you're a Spam fan and you're proud to wear a shirt, you sort of take that as a, you know, a badge of honor that you're someone that thinks differently. You're someone that is not scared to go against the grain. And, you know, you have your tastes and you're not scared to share it. You know, in Korea, it for a while was used as a wedding gift. It was an acceptable wedding gift because it was sort of something of such great esteem and honor. It's that universal sort of story device that I think was so, most interesting. You know, for years with the advertising, we had the tagline, we did Crazy Tasty. Um, it's not around anymore, but I really loved it when we did it because it was all, to me, it walked that line. As someone who loves it thinks, yeah, it is crazy tasty. Like I really, you know, I can put it in between two slices of bread. I can cook it with eggs or put it, you know, in my spam sushi and it's amazing, it's tasty. And then the people that didn't like it or didn't get it kind of related to the crazy part. Like it's crazy tasty. Like, and the crazy was like, I don't get it, but it's kind of fun and it's weird. And I see people, you know, wear a shirt and I can strike up a conversation. So we kind of walk the line with that. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's, you know, when it's prepared and cooked properly, like it's, it's really good. And I think we're starting to see a resurgence of that. There's a lot of fancy restaurants that are using it as a, an addition to a, a you know, a protein option. And, you know, we've seen food trucks pop up with it. Uh, it's kind of has a bit of a resurgence in that sort of way that like uh, PBR has a resurgence, you know, it's that nostalgic sort of brand that uh, people love and kind of has a familiarity to them. So yeah, you can see a lot of, a lot of menus and you look at like French cuisine, you go to a really fancy French restaurant and you're going to get served pork roulettes, but essentially it's a, it's a fancy French version of spam. It's the same thing. They grind it up, you know, they, they put it into a, a, a can or, you know, often into a, a, a dish, cook it, slice it and serve it. And it's exactly like what spam is. It's just, you know, not pasteurized for as long. 
a classic brand that's been around for 80, 90 years. And it's gone through all the same phases that advertising has gone through. So it came back, was, you know, the, the sort of solution to, to, to dinnertime problems. So for a really long time, that was the sort of like, let me show you different ways to cook it. Let me, let me give you recipe ideas. You know, I love the classic 60s casserole recipes and things like that, where it's like spam jello and, you know, just things that like probably shouldn't have ever seen the light of day. Uh, so it went through that phase, you know, they did, a, um, you know, some soap opera and sort of that like detergent soap sort of like sponsorships and in the 80s, it was all about, you know, helping, helping solve dinner. You know, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? It's a spam night. And um, they went then through a phase of the, the sort of spam a lot where they kind of leaned into the, into the can nature of it, where they had that little uh, character that kind of popped up. He was on the cans and he, he um, gave you recipe ideas and told you to, you know, don't forget spam. Pre-2001, there was a lot of uh, hacks or sort of urban wives tales around like what to do with the gel. So use it on a squeaky hinge. Uh, you know, you could use it to buff a table, like all sorts of things like that. Uh, you know, and then I think there's a whole culture and art around the cans. You know, they, they're these nice little tin cans. You can use them for painting or pot, you know, put some, some flowers in them or something like that. And so there's kind of a whole art collective around uh, what happens with the cans. Uh, and now, I, I, from what I see, they're in kind of a classic uh, mode. It's been through all the phases of, of food advertising from, you know, weird ads you probably shouldn't have seen the light of day to uh, sponsorships to, you know, thousands of products you can buy today with, you know, if you need spam keychains or spam flip-flops, you know, they got you covered. I mean, because everybody's got a connection to it. Like you would get on the phone with someone in Korea and they would talk about, you know, getting it as a wedding gift or you'd get on the phone and they'd talk about making it as a kid or, you know, how much they loved eating it in college. And it's it's one of those brands that just sparks, you know, it, it and I, I think it's because of its, its lore in pop culture, right? Back in the 70s when Monty Python did the spam, 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 like that continued to ratchet up the lore and it, it you know, now we call, you know, email, junk email, spam email. And, and that kind of comes a little bit off of the Monty Python. And Jim Henson had a, a, a spammy character in, in some of the movies and saw spam a lot. Eric Idle came out with the version of the Holy Grail that went to Broadway, which was brilliant. It was a lot of fun, but he recognized the value of the spam brand. And at the time, you know, Hormel recognized the value in branded content. They partnered uh, with Eric Idle and they had spam a lot and it toured the globe and was very, very successful and a lot of fun. For years, they had the Spam Mobile that toured. Um, you know, they gave out, I think, 1.7 million samples in 2007 or something like that. Uh, and there was five of them, and they would go around, and you'd get lines two blocks long, and people could get a little sample of Spam. Because uh, it's one of those things that, like, if it's cooked pr properly, it's it's really good. Like, you don't take hamburger and just like, hey, let me cook hamburger and just give you a spoonful of hamburger. Like, that would be weird. But like, that's what people often think about or do with Spam. They're like, here, put a fork in it and try it. And it's like, no, it's not right. Like, grill it. <laughs> you're gonna get the Juilliard effect and get some nice caramelization and you're gonna put it between two buns or put it between two slices of bread. And it's really good. You know, you put it with some pineapple and rice and it's really tasty. Or put it with some mashed potatoes. Like, that, that you know, you just have to prepare it properly. And I think that's why we're seeing a resurgence in food trucks and in, in some sort of uh, boutique sort of restaurants because 
the chefs realize it's, you know, it's easy. They can get a lot of it and, and store it and have it, you know, ready right there. Um, but you grill it up or cook it properly and it makes a dish really tasty. I mean, next time you're in the store, pick up, you know, a 12 ounce can or, you know, they, they do singles now with three ounce, which is a little bit easier to get into. You don't have to, you know, have the commitment of a 12 ounce can uh, and you can get a little slice uh, and try it. Like, you know, put it, grill it up, put it between two pieces of bread or, uh, you know, put it in some with some buns and some American cheese and uh, have yourself a tasty little sandwich because, you know, it's it's you either had it, you know it's good, or you are scared of it, and you should get over it and try it. And great job on that piece, as always, by Faith. And a special thanks to Dustin Black. The story of Spam, here on Our American Story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is Our American Stories, and our next story is likely one you won't forget. We have a fascination in this country with large things. Heck, we have a large country. We boast a world record for the largest mailbox, a world record for the largest hot dog cart, and the world's largest working rifle. We'll soon have another world record for something large. Here's our own Monty Montgomery with a story. Fitzgerald is a beautiful small town nestled in rural Georgia, a great place to raise your kids, to move to, to live in. And the mayor of this town is proud of that. I'm Jim Puckett. I am the mayor of Fitzgerald, Georgia. Uh, this is my hometown. Uh, means a great deal to me. Uh, we are a, a town of about uh, city and county, about 19,000 people, uh, about three hours south of Atlanta. And uh, we are actually the only town in the United States that was founded in 1895 by, after the Civil War by uh, Confederate uh, soldiers coming together with Union soldiers uh, deliberately to reconcile and start repairing that relationship. Obviously, um, you know, attracting industry, attracting commerce is, is difficult when you're 20 miles off the interstate in, in rural South Georgia. So trying to find everything we can do to make it special. And, and Fitzgerald is a very special place. And of course, it's near and dear to my heart. But I want the, the country and the world, for that matter, to know how special Fitzgerald is. But something is running afoul in this small town. So back in the 60s, the state had some type of experiment where they brought these Burmese chickens to uh, South Georgia. And whatever, there's a lot of different variations of that story, but somehow, some way, those chickens migrated into Fitzgerald. And over the years, they've become quite an attraction or a nuisance, depending on who you speak with. You're very well uh, likely to drive up to a red light on Main Street downtown, and as you stop, see a family of chickens go across the road. We actually have a city ordinance that you can't harm those chickens. So what's happened is we would fly industry in here, we would fly representatives in here, we would... You know, we actually uh, are we, we're into burgeoning into the film industry. Uh, we, we shot several movies here last year. Uh, Bruce Willis shot a film here in Fitzgerald. Um, and so when these people get to town, no matter the attractions that we have, and we have a lot to offer, one of the first things they usually ask about is, hey, I've heard about those wild chickens. <laughs> you know, I, I told people when I got elected mayor that, that you may not agree with everything that I do, but you will never say that I didn't do anything. And so, uh, you know, you use what you have. And I decided one day, you know what? We're going to build a big chicken for them to see when they get here. And this chicken ain't no chicken. It's much, much more than that. In Marietta, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, 
there is what, what everybody in the state of Georgia knows as the big chicken. It is Kentucky Fried Chicken Restaurant, and it is a gigantic metal building, and, and it's a gigantic chicken. So it, it's become a landmark. It's been there for years and years and years. People say, go to the, the big chicken and take a ride. So my first thought was, hey, let's find out how big the big chicken is in, in Atlanta, and let's build ours two feet bigger than that. So we'll have the biggest one in the state of Georgia. So we did that and we found out that it was 56 feet tall. So the, the, the person that we have contracted to build our topiary uh, is Joe Kite. Uh, he goes by Topiary Joe. Topiary Joe has his own website. Uh, he builds these things for Disney, for Steven Spielberg, for corporate America. He's built them all over the world. And, and a topiary is a statue that is made mostly of living plants. It's, it's like a small, it reminds me of, of a chia pet, little bitty tiny leaves. So Topiary Joe was in my office and he said, Mayor, we can build a 58 foot chicken and it'll be the largest one in Georgia. He said, but the largest topiary in the world is 59 and a half feet and it's in Dubai. This Mickey Mouse, uh, 59 and a half foot Mickey Mouse topiary in Dubai. He said, so if we go full more feet and get to 62, you'll have the largest topiary in the entire world. I'm kind of a go big or go home guy, so I said, let's do it. And that's not all. You can coop up in it too. We've got a great tourism director here and, and, and she, we were all talking one day and, and got to talking about the most interesting B&Bs in the world. And if you Google, if you, if you Google or search on the internet for interesting B&Bs, you come up with everything from potatoes you can stay in in Idaho to gigantic dogs that you can stay in. And these things stay booked all the time. And so uh, we said, hey, why don't we put a B&B in the middle of this thing and let it be something that, that you can rent out? And number one, just another draw to get people to Fitzgerald, but two, it'll end up paying for itself. And so right in the middle of it, and it's gonna be just like a very nice hotel room with, with beds and TVs and bathrooms. And it's actually gonna have another neat feature. Right now, you can uh, go on YouTube and Google Fitzgerald Chicken Cam, and uh, we've got a camera that will show you the, the live picture of the chicken. So we people had asked about watching it being built and that type of thing. So we've got a camera that you can Google Fitzgerald Wild Chicken Cam and you'll see a live picture of our chicken. So once that gets finished, once we complete it, we're actually gonna take that camera, put it in the very top of the 62 foot chicken and it's gonna rotate around the city so that you can see the entire city, which I think is pretty cool. And a lot of people that are from Fitzgerald that don't live here anymore think it's pretty cool too because they can see their city wherever they are. But building the world's largest topiary chicken naturally comes with some challenges. It definitely challenges because we're doing something or they're doing something that's never been done before. And, and I love those types of challenges. But, but initially, finding um, engineers uh, to, to do this, finding engineers that understood uh, how we wanted it built, you know, that we wanted to use, you know, that we didn't want to use steel that came from... Japan that we're not going to be able to get from six months that we wanted to use all American steel that we wanted to use everything American in this chicken uh, that uh, uh, it's just a large and then people thinking when you hear topiary and once they find it you know people well is it just going to be a big chicken bush <laughs> I get that a lot and, and how hard is it going to be maintained is your public works you know are they going to be able to keep it trimmed are they just a lot of the unknown questions and so the, the challenges early on were just 
when we initially told engineers and we initially told developers and people, here's what we want to do, there was just no uh, precedent. There was nothing to go back on to look at to see how we did this. So it's been a, a ground from the ground floor up, uh, a new venture. And uh, when you go to the chicken cam and you and you look at it, you'll see the gigantic white part underneath the the, the, the steel structure and you I mean almost looks like a gigantic diving board and then they're building the chicken all around it uh, and it's it's pretty neat I mean I'm not gonna I have a business degree I'm not I'm no engineer by by any means but it's been pretty neat and exciting to watch this thing go up and I have people every day say hey I was out there today and I saw and I've stopped and watched them build the chicken for a while and it's looking so great and I try to stay off social media when I see some of those posts because <laughs> some of them are all great and then some of them go the other way and they want to fuss about it you know and so uh but it, it's exciting i mean the overall uh the overall uh, uh, perception of it, it it has become positive uh and and i think it's going to grow once they see the finished project and once they see the people that it's bringing to our town someone asked me the other day do you think that this this uh, chicken is going to bring industry to town no that now when people come here looking to, to put a plant here or, or a type of industry here, one of the things they ask us about is attractions. But no, I saw I'm, I'm building this for tourism. This is this is for our tourism department. There's going to be a big billboard on, on the interstate uh, 20 minutes from Fitzgerald, and I don't exactly know what it's going to say yet, but it's going to be a big, big arrow with the world's largest topiary this way. And you're listening to Jim Puckett. And he is the mayor of Fitzgerald, Georgia, a rural hamlet south of Atlanta. The story of the world's largest topiary chicken. And that's the story of Fitzgerald, Georgia, and Mayor Jim Puckett here on Our American Story. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. 
That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER This is Our American Stories, and up next, well, it's a story about our history. Today, Robbie brings us the story about a piece of history you've probably never heard before, and it comes from one of our favorite contributors, Clay Jenkinson. While a wise ruler, a priest, a four-foot block of cheese and a giant loaf of bread baked by the Navy may sound like the makings of a fairy tale, it's actually a true story about our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Here's Clay Jenkinson to tell us more about it. Really, he regarded his election as the second American Revolution. That, and he meant it, that we'd had a revolution in 1776 and then we'd created and installed a government. But that government moved in the wrong direction towards monarchy and aristocracy and a strong central government. And we needed to restore the principles of 1776 so he reluctantly stood for the presidency in 1800 and won. There was such uh, anger against Jefferson in Federalist circles. People thought that he was a dangerous man. He spent too much time in France. He'd been infected by the, the radical principles of the French Revolution, that he was unreliable and, and that he might destroy the country. The great majority of the American people wanted a restoration of the more democratic principles of 1776. One of the places where Jefferson was weak was in Massachusetts and Connecticut and New England, basically. And so in 1801, after his installation as president, a minister uh, up in the Cheshire Hills uh, decided that he would do a, a, make a great tribute to Thomas Jefferson uh, by way of creating the world's largest cheese. And so the Reverend Leland uh, decided that he would uh, pay tribute to Jefferson by getting the people of his district to milk their cows and, and present all of that milk to create this cheese, and they did it. They claimed that they only milked Republican cows, never Federalist cows, um, and most of this was collected in a single day. But the resulting cheese was four feet in diameter, 15 inches thick, 
and it weighed over 1,200 pounds. It weighed 1,235 pounds. And so the Reverend Leland um, had two interests in, in supporting Jefferson. One was to show the country and Jefferson that New England was not 100% Federalist. And the second was in praise of Jefferson's um, principles of separation of church and state. So Jefferson wrote the Virginia Statute for Religious Liberty. It was passed into law in 1786. At that time, it was the, it was the boldest statement in human history of the need to separate church and state and to protect uh, religious sensibilities from any coercion uh, by the larger public and certainly by the state or national government. And Leland was a Baptist uh, in a state that was largely Presbyterian, and he would have been, he and his sect would have been seen as upstarts, non-standard, possibly heretical, and deserving of state persecution, certainly of social shunning, uh, in this era. And so these Baptists really counted on Jefferson as their champion because they would not have had a chance to establish their own market share in the world of Christianity had it not been for the tolerance that was being shown and the protection they were getting from uh, people like Jefferson and also James Madison. So now they've built the world's largest cheese, or what they think is the world's largest cheese, but they have to get it to President Jefferson. And there was no FedEx or UPS or adequate postal system at the time to send the cheese. So uh, John Leland decided to deliver it himself. This was actually something of a logistical nightmare. Uh, first he had to take it on a sleigh um, to get it to the Hudson River. Once he got it to the Hudson, they went down in a sloop to New York City and on to Baltimore. And there they transferred this 1,235 pound cheese to a wagon and they hauled it into Washington, D.C., into the new District of Columbia, to the White House, in time for one of Jefferson's two annual White House receptions. Jefferson only opened the White House to the public twice per year, once on the 1st of January and once on the 4th of July. Jefferson uh, didn't quite know what to make of all of this. And while thankful for their gift, Jefferson wanted to make sure that everyone knew this was not a bribe. But what a bribe that would have been. So he actually gave a check of $200 to uh, the congregation that Leland represented so that he would have paid for this uh, cheese and not simply accepted it uh, as a gift from friendly constituents. And then he served some of that cheese at his New Year's reception in 1801. It'd be hard to eat uh, that much cheese. And so we don't know exactly how long this cheese survived. Accounts vary, but certainly he served it again at the next year's uh, reception on New Year's Day, 1803. So it lasted for more than a year. And there are accounts from contemporary letters and diaries Oh, guests coming to the White House uh, to eat at Jefferson's famous White House dinner parties. And when Jefferson wasn't in the room, asking one of the serving staff, you know, could I see the, could I see the cheese? Would you, would you show me the cheese? And some people were allowed then to go and, and look at this, this monster. Uh, it wasn't refrigerated. Washington is a very hot place, especially in the summer months and the cheese therefore deteriorated and, and we have accounts of, of their having to carve out 
chunks of it from the middle that had molded or gotten runny. But the sense we get from such historical records as still exist is that the cheese lasted a couple of years and was served on at least two New Year's receptions and maybe on other occasions, and that it was sort of wheeled out on a lazy Susan and made available on those occasions because lifting a 1,000-pound or 1,300-pound cheese would be almost impossible, so they had to find a way to, to move it, and they didn't want to leave it simply in one place. The term mammoth cheese came from a Federalist newspaper referencing one of Jefferson's strange fascinations. Everyone knew that Jefferson had a special interest in the woolly mammoth and the mastodon, and that his friend Charles Wilson Peel was digging up mastodon bones up in New England and displaying them at his museum in Philadelphia. So it soon became known that this was the mammoth cheese, uh, which was a sort of playful, somewhat ironic, slightly irreverent tribute to Jefferson's scientific interests. And Leland became known as the mammoth priest uh, for this stunt. And, and he took a lot of ribbing uh, all along the route from uh, Massachusetts to Washington, D.C. and back. But it made him sort of famous. If giant cheese weren't enough, Jefferson would then receive a similarly odd gift from the Navy. Well, then the, the U.S. Navy decided to create the world's largest loaf of bread. And, and they used a whole barrel of flour um, to make a prodigy of, of a loaf of bread. The thing about bread, uh, as opposed to cheese, is that bread doesn't stand up very well over time. You, you can't preserve bread for a couple of receptions. You have to serve it. Jefferson was not famous for his interest in the Navy. He actually created the Navy, but Jefferson starved the Navy of funds and not only made the War of 1812 inevitable, but made us nearly lose it once it came. The Navy, in producing the world's largest loaf of bread, or this mammoth loaf of bread, uh, may have had more strategic interests in mind. During a Senate-sponsored party to rally support for a naval war in the Mediterranean, a Navy baker just around noon wheeled in the mammoth loaf, said to be 12 feet in length, 2 feet in breadth, and of suitable height. Along with the loaf, they brought out the remnants of the mammoth cheese, an enormous side of roast beef, and quite a bit of alcohol. President Jefferson stepped up, pulled out his pocket knife, and cut the first slice of bread. From there, all we really know is that the party quickly devolved into a noisy, drunken affair. Probably, if you'd said to Thomas Jefferson at home, if he and Madison were, were sitting in, in Jefferson's library and having a glass of Bordeaux, and Madison had said, what about the cheese? Jefferson probably would have rolled his eyes and said, this is the sort of thing that happens in a democratic culture. You know, P.T. Barnum was right. You know, the American people love stuff like this. They love carnival, they love freaks, they love prodigies, they love fairs. And to this day, you know, you go to the state fair in Iowa and you'll see a giant butter sculpture of Elvis Presley. We have the world's largest Holstein cow in North Dakota and Minnesota has the world's largest prairie chicken and the world's largest pelican and the world's largest walleye and so on. This is just some zany part of the American spirit. Indeed, and you've been listening to Clay Jenkinson tell the story of the mammoth cheese and the mammoth loaf, and great job as always to Robbie. Clay Jenkinson is the director of the Dakota Institute and co-host of Public Radio's Thomas Jefferson Hour. So he knows a little bit about the subject, the story of the mammoth cheese and the mammoth loaf here 
on Our American Story. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, I'm here to tell you about UpFaith and Family, the leading streaming service for uplifting entertainment. It's the only place to stream all seasons of the award-winning series Heartland with exclusive content you won't see anywhere else. Binge all of the past seasons and don't miss the season 17 of Heartland and stream a new episode weekly. Dive into the warmth of Heartland and let UpFaith and Family be your go-to service for all things uplifting. Start your free trial today. Go to UpFaithandFamily.com for your free trial. UpFaithandFamily.com.